Hello, brothers, sisters, and friends, and welcome to the You Are the Current Resident podcast. This is the official podcast of the National Association of Letter Carriers, the union that represents 280,000 active and retired city letter carriers employed by the United States Postal Service. My name is Ed Morgan, and I'll be your host this week. Sitting next to me is our national president, Brian Renfro. Hey, Brian, how are you this week? Eddie, I'm doing great. Um, glad to have you with me uh, on last week's episode. I talked about uh, that it wouldn't just be my voice going forward, so we're excited uh, excited that you're here. Thanks. Appreciate that. So I saw you were on the road this week. Uh, can you tell me where you were? Yeah, I had an opportunity to go down to Houston, Texas. Our Texas State Association held their state convention, um, and I was able to go down and address them and answer a lot of questions. And they had several hundred in attendance. It's a, a big state and, you know, was really impressed and encouraged by everything they did there. Um, you know, handling business and education and, you know, really active group. And um, those folks uh, are, I hope, left as energized as I did. So it was, um, it's always great to be with the members and, you know, certainly enjoyed being with our brothers and sisters down in Texas. Terrific. Uh, just to tell you a little bit about myself, uh, I've been on the letter carrier staff, lucky to be on the letter carrier staff since 2016. I'm originally from Philadelphia, carrier from Branch 157, the Middle City Post Office. Keep my root born for me, fellas. Uh, currently working uh, on the Leadership Academy, uh, some of the new social media blurbs that you might have seen, and uh, with some interesting projects that are coming up in the future. Eddie, we're uh, really happy to have you doing this. Ed's done a great job, and and certainly with the Leadership Academy, but also here more recently with what we're doing on social media. Hope for our folks out there, our members that are um, participating in social media, which I would guess most of you do if you're listening to this podcast, that you've enjoyed some of the new content and the creative videos, and we intend to keep that going forward. And Eddie's done a great job in being involved in that, so we're happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about collective bargaining, which is how the NALC negotiates with the USPS. Uh, I sat down earlier this week and came up with some questions that our members might have had. If I didn't ask your question uh, during this time, you always can reach us through our Ask the Mailbag segment. You can submit your questions by emailing us at social at NALC.org. So can you explain how collective bargaining works? Sure. Um, So let's start with the term collective bargaining. And it's a a broad term that um, covers any time you have a union and you have an employer and you negotiate an agreement that applies to a lot of different facets of of the employees that the union represents, a lot of facets of their, their work life, including work rules and their compensation, their benefits, um, and all those type things. And for us, collective bargaining operates a little bit differently than it does for a lot of our brothers and sister unions in uh, in the private sector. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into a little more detail here in a few minutes about exactly how that process works. But essentially, um, every few years, we sit down with the Postal Service and we attempt to negotiate an agreement. And there are provisions in the law that are in place in the event we're not able to uh, to reach a negotiated agreement. 
Um, in our case, we if we do reach a tentative agreement with them, we have a process in our Constitution where that agreement is mailed out to every one of our active members. Those are the members that that agreement would impact, where they have the opportunity to vote in ratification as to whether um, they want to accept that agreement or not. So uh, in a nutshell, it's a, it's, it's a little more complicated than what it sounds to begin with, but generally speaking, it's a process where we sit down with them and negotiate over work rules and pay and benefits and, and all types of other things that affect letter carriers every day. And for those of uh, our newer listeners or new members, how long have we had collective bargaining? In some form or fashion, we've had it since 1962. So I'll do a brief history here. Um, our union was founded in 1889. The Postal Service, of course, was founded long before that, uh, back in the 1700s. Um, And for the first roughly 70 or so years, um, I guess, yeah, 73 years of our union's um, existence, uh, our representation was pretty much limited to what we were able to advocate for um, on Capitol Hill and and, uh, other forums that, that affected our members. And uh, back then, the post office, as it was known, was called the Post Office Department. It was a full-fledged government agency, just like now, for example, the Department of Labor is, is an example, or any of the other um, you know, government, uh, full-fledged government agencies. In 1962, however, then-President uh, John F. Kennedy, yes, that JFK, signed an executive order, and that executive order gave us the right to bargain over certain topics, and they were all what we called non-economic issues. So we had the pretty limited collective bargaining rights beginning in 1962, um, where we got the ability to negotiate over things like work hours and, and stuff like that. When it comes to economic issues, which includes pay, it includes fringe benefits, um, really anything that involves money uh, that that um, as part of the compensation for letter carriers, that stuff was still at the time set by Congress. So when um, you have to lobby Congress for something like a pay increase, that uh, becomes very, very uh, difficult. So fast forward a little bit, eight years later, um, letter carriers went out on an illegal wildcat strike that began in uh, New York City in Branch 36. And at the time, a rank-and-file letter carrier by the name of Vince Abrado, who would go on um, to become the NALC's greatest president at the national level, um, led this strike. And the reasons for the strike were inadequate pay, um, very poor working conditions, and the pay was a result of, as we're all familiar with today, it was the same back then, inaction of Congress. So... Part of the the ask in the strike and and what letter carriers and then eventually other postal employees walked off the job for was for full collective bargaining rights. So in 1970, um, the strike started in March. The initial agreement in April um, involved an agreement by the president and by Congress to um, give letter carriers an initial wage increase, and that was uh, something like 6%. Um, retroactive back to 1969. And then they also um, had an additional 8% increase that was contingent on 
legislation that was in the works as a result of the strike to reform the Postal Service. So in August of 1970, Congress passed a law, and then President Nixon signed it into law called the Postal Reorganization Act, which did a lot of things, um, but as far as collective bargaining, it gave the, the postal employees, and in our case, the NALC and city letter carriers, full collective bargaining rights that we have today. So since 1970, we have enjoyed full collective bargaining rights, and including a resolution process in the event that we're unable to reach an agreement. And I'm sure we'll get into a little more detail on that. Can you explain the difference between the public sector, like us, and private sector negotiations? Sure. Well, one of the components of that law in 1970 that gave us full collective bargaining rights um, is what happens in the event we're not able to reach agreement. So let's first start with what generally happens in the private sector. So in the private sector, if um, an employer and a union fail to reach an agreement, there's really a couple of options there. From the union's perspective, you have the option to strike and try to force the employer into agreeing with whatever your um, position or your demands are in negotiations. And for the employer, um, sometimes they will choose to lock employees out. So in the private sector, it's essentially you go into bargaining um, the leverage that you have if you're a union is the threat of a strike. In the public sector, it's much different because it's controlled by law. Um, in our case, it is illegal for letter carriers to strike. But what we have as a, a sort of in exchange for that, when you look back at the law in 1970, is a process called interest arbitration, which we'll get into a little more detail on that. Um, resolves any disputes that the parties have in contract negotiation. So, you know, in the in private sector bargaining, you've got for-profit companies that are private businesses that are bargaining with unions. In the public sector, um, it's a little more complicated financial picture for the employers, typically. You know, whether that's bargaining with um, what we had pre-1970 in the post office department and, and several of our, you know, sister unions here, um, in America, still bargain with full-fledged government agencies. And then also you have independent agencies of the government, like the Postal Service, that we bargain with. And their funding and things like that are, are in a lot of cases, very different than what we see in the private sector. And that's reflected in um, the laws that govern the collective bargaining process for those uh, different types of agencies. Great. Um, who sets the agenda on our side? So NALC is uh, really in contrast to not all, but a lot of other unions. Um, we are a very democratic union, and that goes beyond just simple elections of delegates to state and national conventions or elections of officers at, at the branch level or the state level or, or the national level. Um, we have a longstanding process where every other year when we have a national convention, our branches and state associations have the opportunity to submit resolutions um, to the executive council that are presented at each of those conventions and voted upon. And a large number of those resolutions have to do with collective bargaining. So um, that is the first place that we go when we look at things that we want to bring to the table. What happens at a convention when a collective bargaining resolution is submitted, the executive council will review it will make a recommendation 
um, on just what the council's opinion is. And then the delegates of the convention will debate that resolution and then eventually either approve or disapprove it. Those resolutions that are approved become official bargaining positions of the NALC. So it's a combination of those official bargaining positions that, that you know come through that democratic process. Certainly, whatever may be taking place at a particular time you're bargaining that are the challenges that we need to address. Um, we here at NALC headquarters and out in our regional offices and all the way down to the branches, you know, there's a lot of communication between our members that um, are, are very um, open and, and, you know, active in terms of communicating issues that could potentially be addressed through collective bargaining. So it's a combination of a number of those things. But ultimately, our official positions are set through that process of um, resolutions at our convention. You know, but we also are, are try to keep a very close ear to the ground, so to speak, on um, issues that are happening at any particular time that, you know, may change our priorities, um, things that we may need to address in whatever round of, of bargaining we happen to be in at that time. Can you explain, like, who owns the Postal Service? Yeah, um, this is also a contrast in the public and private sector bargaining. You know, private sector companies are typically owned by individuals or they become publicly traded and are, are owned by stockholders. In the Postal Service's case, it's an independent agency of the federal government. So technically, um, it's owned by the federal government, thus it's owned by the people. And um, it does not receive tax dollars for operating reasons, um, for operating purposes. So um, it's, it's revenue from the sale of stamps and, and postage is, uh, is what funds it. So it's a, um, in a lot of ways, it's, it's owned by the people of this country. Um, but revenue-wise, it's not funded by the people of this country, I think is the best way to explain it. So now we're in interest arbitration. Can you explain exactly what that is? Sure. So interest arbitration is a process that by law, um, we and the Postal Service are required to engage in in the event we reach what's called an impasse or an inability to come to agreement on a collective bargaining agreement. And this is a process that over the years we've used um, less than half the time. We have negotiated 15 uh, collective bargaining agreements with the Postal Service. I believe of those 15 collective bargaining agreements, we have six of them have been decided by interest arbitration. So um, what happens is if we are unable to reach an agreement by the time our existing agreement expires, so currently in 2023, our previous agreement that began in 2019 expired on May the 20th, by law we have a 60-day period where we are required to report to the Federal Mediation Council and use a mediator to try to resolve our disputes. Um, we comply with the law, but just frankly speaking, mediation has not been successful um, in, in history. So uh, then we proceed to a, a process called interest arbitration um, um, where you know, it's essentially a hearing where, um, as well as written evidence that both parties submit and ultimately a decision's made. And I'm sure we can get into a little more detail on that. Sure. Great. So like what happens at interest arbitration? Yeah. So each party goes forward. Um, the postal service will 
have their proposal. Normally in interest arbitration, the, the issues that are on the table are economic in nature, pay, um, benefits, things that, that also have an economic impact on the Postal Service, such as the structure of the workforce, um, those type of big ticket economic items. And each side will um, have their proposal of what they believe they want to achieve. And there's a three-person arbitration panel um, created. The union, NALC, will have an arbitrator that represents our interest. The Postal Service will have an arbitrator that represents their interest. And then the parties will jointly agree on a neutral arbitrator to chair that three-person arbitration panel. Um, in our most recent round of contract negotiations uh, back for the 2019 agreement, we went through the entire, almost the entire process of interest arbitration, eventually reached an agreement prior to send out for ratification, prior to receiving an award. Um, but arbitrator Dennis Nolan was our neutral arbitrator. Then what happens is to that three-person panel, each side presents evidence um, to support what their proposals are. You know, for us, that typically includes um, expert witnesses that do things like talk about, you know, the difficulty of our job and how important, you know, city cares are to the Postal Service. Um, there's economic factors that are involved as far as what the world around us looks like. Um, and, and a number of, of other issues that tend to change over time. Uh, but those are the ones that are pretty much consistent. And then what happens is after this written evidence is submitted, there's often hearings with, with witness testimony. Um, the three-person panel gets together, and the role of the, the Postal Service-appointed and the NALC-appointed arbitrator is to be sure the interests of both sides are clearly understood by the chair, the neutral, jointly selected arbitrator, who ultimately will make a decision that'll set the, the terms of our collective bargaining agreement. So this is the one everyone wants to know. Like, what's on the table at this contract negotiation? A lot of stuff. So let, let's start with um, where we are in that process. So we concluded our 60-day mediation period on July the 19th. Um, throughout that entire period, we continued to negotiate. Um, we continue to negotiate now. Um, we will, in the reasonably near future, if we are not to the point of reaching tentative agreement, we'll, we'll begin that process of selecting an interest arbitrator and scheduling that process that I just described going forward. Um, the big things that, that are here for us, um, economically speaking, uh, is certainly pay. Um, we are in a place where, you know, NELC believes that, um, we need a change in our pay structure in terms of the way our pay tables are out there. We have um, two separate pay tables that both end up at the same top end pay, but they are different. Um, in table one, the old table, 99.9% um, of people in that table are currently at the top step. So um, for us, the, the, the main things that are on the table and the goals that we want to achieve are increasing starting pay for sure, but not just starting pay. It's also increasing our top end pay to a level that um, we believe, you know, rewards us for our contributions to the Postal Service and reflects, you know, what our value is to the Postal Service. And if you look at the economy and wages in general in this country, 
right now compared to where they were in 2019 when we last negotiated, um, things have drastically changed. Wages have gone up. Um, unemployment has gone, you know, at a, at a record low. There is um, a bigger challenge in some places to hire uh, employees than we've ever had before. And really for all those reasons, plus the, the reason, the normal reasons that we present is, look, our job's not easy. And our job gets more difficult all the time, and we take on more responsibility all the time. And the result of that, in our view, is that we, letter care should be paid more. So those are the, the big things. Now, there's a number of other um, issues that are on the table dealing with work rules. Of course, you know the problems we have with things like compliance with Article 8, um, looking at stuff like route adjustment. I mean, we currently have a, a joint process ongoing. That's a big topic of negotiation, what that'll look like going forward. And, and then addressing a number of the other things that uh, are currently hot issues. For example, um, this alarming increase in crime we've seen over the last couple of years, you know, as well as a lot of longstanding bargaining positions that are a lot of them are very specific to our job, stuff that's included in Article 41 of our agreement, which is a craft article that, you know, lays out a lot of things that are very specific to letter cares and what we do every day. So um, we have made good progress through our, our bargaining process. We've gotten um, to a place where we've come to tentative agreement. on. You don't really have an agreement till you have an agreement, but in terms of some individual issues, we've um, got some tentative agreement on on a number of things, and and we're working towards um, and remain optimistic about our ability to negotiate an agreement that we feel like, you know, fairly rewards our members and and that we can send out to arbitration. But I, I always say that with, you know, this piece to cap it is, we also have been preparing for interest arbitration, you know, really since we finished our last agreement, but in earnest for you know, approaching a year now since last fall. And if that's the route that we have to go to achieve what we believe is, um, you know, fair for our members, then we will not hesitate to go in that direction. That's great to hear. Um, so after postal reform, the postal service is fat with cash now, right? Yeah, I wish they were. Um, there's no doubt they are in a better financial position. You know, when you just look long-term, it, it did not change a ton as far as an in the moment thing here in 2023, um, their, their cash position has improved over the last couple of years. Um, and some of that due to, to postal reform, but the impact of postal reform is really more of a long-term impact. We're looking down the road at, um, you know, things like the, the positive impact it has on, on the cost for retiree healthcare and, and things like that, which is a piece of this. I mean, when we, negotiate and, and get dig deep in the postal service finances, which is a, an important part of this, you know, because if you're the postal service and, or, or any other employer for that matter, and, you know, you try to make an argument against, you know, giving employees X amount of increased compensation, the best argument to make is I don't have any money. Um, but there's a long-term impact too, because whatever we negotiate, even if it's over a three, four, five, whatever the year, the, the term of the agreement may be, that does also have long-term impacts on their costs. So um, there's no question postal reform is a positive, will continue to be a positive, um, but it's not the one thing that all of a sudden, you know, 
really changes bargaining in terms of just infusing them with billions of dollars of cash immediately. It helps for sure. And there are additional steps out there that I'm sure we'll get into in depth in future episodes that are legislative in nature or things that the White House could do, for example, um, that would also further impact that and improve, you know, where we are in terms of, of bargaining. But I would say fat with cash is a little bit of a stretch, but definitely in a, in a better position. Okay. So how do other delivery companies make more revenue than us? Yeah, so other delivery companies are private companies. You know, we're the only public, um, so to speak, or, or government um, delivery company. And in a lot of ways, we're comparable. I mean, yes, there are competition when it comes to our competitive products like parcels and, you know, some of the special services and that type thing. Um, I think it's important to remember that we still have the monopoly on um, on the mailbox and, and first-class mail. So the really the goals of private delivery companies versus the goals of the Postal Service are different in a lot of ways. You know, for private delivery companies, their goal is to make as much money as they can and make as big a profit as they can. You know, for the Postal Service, it the goal is not about necessarily making a profit. Certainly, you want to be financially sustainable and have the ability to reinvest in things like infrastructure. And, you know, the best example of that is just how badly we need um, to get the new vehicles out on the road. Those of you, if you're listening to this and driving an LLV right now, you'd certainly agree. Um, but ultimately, the goal for the Postal Service is not a profit. It's a service. So that's the biggest difference um, between the way revenue is is dealt with. And, you know, for us, we also, our prices are capped by law. So there's, you know, some limitations on the way the Postal Service is able to increase revenue, you know, whereas a private company is is free to do whatever they want. I mean, obviously, if they increase prices too much, they'll lose business. So just like any other business, you know, they have a lot more flexibility in, in that regard. But I'd say those are um, really the way that, that they may end up with more kind of bottom line revenue than what the Postal Service would have. Great. So here's the big question. Why do we negotiate in private? Yeah, um, it really has to do with our process. So I, I think if you look, and those of you that are listening that pay attention, you know, maybe to the larger labor movement and you know, other unions that are out there, um, often their negotiations are are very public and they have, you know, large campaigns where, you know, they hold rallies and all those sorts of things. And typically that is effective for a union in the private sector that has the ability to strike because it makes, it raises the profile. They're able to educate people on what that strike could mean. And therefore, that puts pressure back on the employer to come to the table with with what they want to bargain. In our world of collective bargaining, it's much different. Um, number one, we cannot strike. We we that's illegal for us to do that. That's also in our collective bargaining agreement that we will not strike. Um, and number two, it really. If we were to do that, it doesn't influence the Postal Service in any way. And, you know, the, the fact that a public, you know, type campaign without the ability to strike, really the only thing that does is get information out there 
you know, calls uh, people to express opinions that, frankly, the only positive that could have, actually, there's no positive that could have in terms of our negotiation. The only impact that could have would be a negative impact to um, cloud, you know, the, the discussions that we're having. And it's really important, and I say this, this is my fourth time, um, my first time as president, obviously, leading collective bargaining, but my fourth time doing it. Twice I served as the chief spokesperson, you know, with the Postal Service. And, um, you know, one time we got an award through interest arbitration. Three times we negotiated an award. One of those was when we essentially finished um, our interest arbitration proceeding. So I've, I've, you know, had a, a lot of experience doing this. An important part of it for us is for our conversations and our negotiations with our counterparts at the Postal Service and vice versa, for us to be able to be very open, very honest, um, and talk about, you know, things in almost sometimes in an informal setting. So, you know, that that when you add um, outside noise, so to speak, it tends to have what we call a cooling effect where one side or the other gets into a place um, where they may not be as comfortable talking about a particular topic. So, you know, the more open our discussions with them can be, in my experience, the better opportunity we have. Um, and I think they feel the same way to eventually reach an agreement. So, you know, as I tell our members, a lot of places where we go, and there are certainly things I talk about, and, and you know, our goals here, as we've talked a little bit about on this podcast, are no secret. You know, I think people know, you know, what uh, we are trying to achieve, at least generally speaking. Uh, and, and I would love to tell every one of our members every single thing that happens, but the fact of the matter is that can only, while people want to hear that, and I totally understand that, the only way it can impact um, what we are actually doing and ultimately we're able to achieve is in a negative way. And, you know, my responsibility as well as the rest of our officers and staff here at headquarters that are involved in this process is for us to do everything that we can to achieve the best agreement that we possibly can for letter carriers. And everything that we do as it relates to this process and everything that we say or don't say um, is geared towards that goal. And I am very confident in um, what we are doing. I'm confident in the progress that we've made so far. I'm confident in our people here that are involved. Um, I'm confident in the people that we deal with at the Postal Service that, that we will be in a position, you know, hopefully to reach an agreement. And in the event that we can, as I mentioned earlier, we are ready to go in interest arbitration. I feel great about you know, the case that we could potentially put on, including the folks that we have involved from our attorneys to expert witnesses and professionals that we hire from outside to letter carriers that we've prepared to testify should that become necessary. Um, everyone has, you know, done a, a great job here. And um, one thing, you know, for those that have been around a while that you'll know, this process does not move fast. And part of the reason for that is, you know, we have the second largest single bargaining unit that's under one collective bargaining agreement in America. You know, so the, this collective bargaining agreement has a huge impact on our members, has a huge impact on the Postal Service. 
you know, so it's a, it's a very, you know, serious process and, and they're really big decisions to make in these negotiations, regardless of which side of the table you're on. Um, but the, back to the original question, doing it quietly and in private just allows us to have the most open conversations and negotiations that we have. Um, and just the way our bargaining is structured as a result of a lot of the things we've talked about, the history, you know, what's in the law now, puts us in a place where um, outside noise, so to speak, doesn't improve our process in any way. It can only harm it. So, you know, as, as we will certainly update our members, just like we have so far, as we move to different steps in the process. And, you know, when we get to the point of, um, you know, if we get to the point of interest arbitration, you know, that'll um, be something that uh, we'll, we'll, there'll be a little more detail about it than, you know, just our normal negotiating discussions. But um, just to be clear, we, we, as long as we believe we've got an opportunity to reach an agreement um, that will reward our members and is fair to our members, we will remain at the table um, and negotiate. And, and, and I can tell you the Postal Service is committed to the same thing and has the belief as well as we do that, that, we, can, uh, that we can reach agreement. So we're optimistic about that. Well, there are the questions I had this week for collective bargaining. If you think I missed a question or you have your own question about collective bargaining, uh, you can get into our Ask the Mailbag segment next week. You submit your questions, please just email us at social at nalc.org. Social at nalc.org, and we'll ask your, answer your questions, hopefully. Um, we have a few this week from last episode that I want to get into of our Ask the Mailbag. And our first question, if you got a couple minutes for that, you're all right, Brian? Sure. All right. We have uh, Oscar Cerna from Branch 14, Louisville. Got to make sure you say that right, Kentucky. Louisville. Louisville. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my fat Philadelphia tongue is going to have a tough time getting around a few of these <laughs> cities. I, I apologize uh, to begin with. Uh, but here's his question. UPS is negotiation n- negotiating a higher wage for entry-level employees. Does this mean we have to do the same? Um, the short answer is yes, <laughs> but it's not as a result of uh, the the agreement or the tentative agreement, I should call it, between the Teamsters and and UPS. I, that's been something, and I think I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, that is very important in this round of, of bargaining. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the CCA classification in the past and how in its current form, it doesn't work in our craft anymore. And a big piece of that is the starting pay. But the same is also true, you know, with um, with career employees and, and where our, our PTFs um, start as well. So uh, that there's the short answer is yes. There's no question that a higher starting pay um, is a big part of what we're what we're seeking to negotiate in this agreement. And um, I feel pretty confident about our ability to do that. But that's really a result of, um, you know, just one, it's the right thing to do and reflects, you know, I think the, the value of, of letter cares to the Postal Service and just what we deserve for the work we do. Um, but it's also driven by, in some locations, the difficulty that we've seen increase over the last few years in terms of our ability to hire people. Um, and in some of those locations, you know, difficulty retaining them. 
Um, and there's nothing that improves that. There's other things we can do, and there's other things I am pretty confident we will do in this collective bargaining agreement to improve that stuff, but there's nothing that improves it more than a higher starting wage. So um, good question, and the answer is an emphatic yes. Great. Uh, Second question, we have Don Martinez from Branch 201. Is the NALC going to publicly address the rampant falsifications of HIP heat training? Yeah, so I, I think we've done that. Um, you know, I've done multiple interviews with media outlets discussing, you know, a lot of the issues with the HIP. If you uh, go back and look at your postal records for the last few years, your director of safety and health, uh, Manny Peralta, has written about this every spring. You know, we put information. There's a, a plethora of information on the website. You know, just notifying people of of the HIP. And for those that maybe don't know, that's um, the Postal Service's Heat Illness Prevention Program. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of information that we put out there about this. I'll tell you, currently, each of our national business agents' offices are, are reaching out to uh, every branch to find out whether this training was done or wasn't done in every single location. And you know, part of the reason for that is is once we get a lot of that stuff, I'll go sit down with the Postal Service and and we'll go through and, and compare it to what their records show. And I'm pretty sure I know what that's going to look like. But it's not, you know, you can't just assume these sorts of things on anecdotal evidence. If you really want to change it, and ultimately what we want to change is we want our people to get trained. Um, you know, you really have to know what happened. And, and so if you're out there listening and, and your branch hasn't you know, gotten this information back to your NBA office or you're just a rank and file letter carrier, hey, pick up the phone and call your NBA office. All they want to know is did the training happen or did it not happen? And that'll help us in addressing that here at the headquarters level. And our next episode is going to be on hip training along with crime. Uh, If you want to get your question in, uh, you could also just email it to social at NALC.org. And uh, if they're good, I'll include it in my questions. And uh, we'll see how that goes. All right, we have another question here from Colin from Branch 82. He wants to know about the recent Supreme Court decision with the USPS Postmaster DeJoy and what that impact's going to have. Yeah, so um, I guess I should give a little bit of background. Uh, There was recently a decision issued by the court in a case. um, The name of the case was Groff versus DeJoy. And Mr. Groff was a rural letter carrier. I forget where. I think somewhere in the Midwest. Um, and filed suit, uh, essentially saying the law should allow him, due to his religious beliefs, to be excused or accommodated by not having to work on Sundays. And this case was eventually appealed up to the Supreme Court. And this was one that we were very concerned about. And NELC, um, along with our several of the other unions and their attorneys and the, the attorneys at the AFL-CIO, we got together and um, strategized a little bit. And we, NELC, submitted a brief to the court where essentially what we asked for was that this case should just be remanded to the lower courts for them to apply the existing law. And the main reason that that was what we asked the court to do is if the court was to rule on this 
And with this court, if that were to have happened, more than likely they would have granted that accommodation. That would have triggered massive changes to things like our collective bargaining agreement, Article 8, the way we schedule. Um, it would be a, a very disruptive um, result. So uh, by sending it back to the lower level and just allowing that court to apply the law, then it would apply to just this case and you know this individual lawsuit. So thankfully, the decision of the court was exactly what we asked for in our brief, and that was to remand it um, back to the lower court and let the lower court figure out what to do. Um, I don't think there's been any movement in that regard yet, but the short answer to the most important question here, which is how does this affect us, is it really doesn't have any effect on, on us at the national level broadly on our collective bargaining agreement, which is is a, um, a positive thing, particularly when you look at the makeup of this Supreme Court. Um, it's one that... Uh, for a lot of reasons, whenever there's a case that could impact us uh, more times than not, you would, if you had to put your money on it, you would bet that it's not going to go our way. But in this particular case, thankfully, um, it was the, the result that, that we had uh, asked for in our brief. So um, bumping the road, so to speak, but no, uh, no long-term impact, at least not right now. So in some ways, we dodged a little bit of a bullet there. But um, we'll see if the issue comes up again in the future. But uh, thankfully, this one turned out the way um, that was best for our members around the country. Great. All right. That was our Ask the Mailbag segment. Uh, so that's bring us to the conclusion of our episode this, uh, this week. Uh, hopefully, I'll be back next week. If not, I'll see you on my mail rail, carrying mail. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of You Are, the Current Resident Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. And please share the podcast with our NALC brothers and sisters. Um, you can follow the NALC on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and threads. You can find links to our accounts in the episode description. And you can follow President Renfro on Twitter at BrianRenfro19. If you have any questions to submit or some feedback about this new podcast, Again, please email us at social at nalc.org. And like to give you a little uh, treat on the way out. May your feet stay dry, your head be cool, may your bag be light, and your mail run in order. May your steward be by your side and your union have your back. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>